Thank you for joining us today. Whether you are part of the Lighthouse family, be it on-site with us weekly or tuning in online, we'd love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Ely. It's on all our social media platforms. I hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Ah, oh, so good to hear you all singing. Aren't you just like an angelic choir, a heavenly host singing to the Lord? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's lovely. You know that scripture we had last week, which was sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs from Colossians 3. I just thought, that's it, man. We're just out singing our hearts out, worshiping the living God. Isn't it wonderful? Aren't you so glad you came? Look at the person next to you. Do they look happy, glad they came? Yeah, yeah, some of you do. Just pray, just pray for the person on your left, person on your right. Just do this, just for a moment. Lord, bless, bless my neighbor. Say that, bless my neighbor here. Bless them, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with your power. Fill them with your anointing. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, you know they say if you want something, give it away. You know, give some joy to your neighbor. Give some joy to your friend. Give some peace to your friend. And I tell you, it will come back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over with the Lord pour into you his goodness and his mercy and his kindness. Isn't that the truth? What you need, give it away. What are we talking about this morning? Anybody know? Oh, there we go. I've got some notes. Ah, what's on your chalkboard? Thank you. What's on your chalkboard? So this is uh, continuing our series of what we really value and things that we consider really important. And uh, the title this morning is Breaking Bread. Breaking Bread, fellowshipping, that's also about the body of Jesus. That's all, also about the communion which Jesus took with his his uh, Eucharist, they call it, the cup of thanksgiving. This is something Jesus did with his disciples uh, during Passover. So I just want to go into a little bit of background and history of that and talk about what that means for us today and why we do communion. And of course, we're going to finish the service with communion together. Um, so it all kind of wraps up a little bit nicely. But this theme of, uh, we began last week talking about not doing life alone and fellowshipping together, and the, the, the importance of the gathering. And the gathering is important, but it's also important what we do in that gathering. And I want to talk um, today about this idea of communion and uh, the shared meal that it would have been uh, part of the Passover, one of the feasts. There were three really important feasts, but there were other feasts that the Jews celebrated, but Passover, probably the most important. Um, then you also had the Pentecost and you also had the, the second harvest at the end of the year. Um, but the gathering together, and that's important as we reflect um, why we do communion. Communion, the word means to fellowship. Um, so I guess anytime we gather together, it's a kind of a communion, if you like, communing together. Um, that word Eucharist that some churches use, uh, that just means thanksgiving the cup of thanksgiving. Um, but the breaking of bread, which is my theme this morning, is it is about fellowship. It is about us gathering together. You know, when you gather together and eat together, people call it, let's break bread together. It's an ancient tradition um, that, uh, that, that comes well, from Scripture, mostly. Um, I was told not to kick the glass of water. 
literally just before I got up here. Do not kick the glass of water, but there you go. Um, it speaks of fellowship around the shared meal, but it also talks about the brokenness of Christ's body and what that means for us today. And it's also sharing in the life of Christ, that cup of his blood um, that we talk about at communion. So we look at this ancient idea of breaking bread, and I want to turn to Acts chapter 2. I know I've got Luke 22, but I'll get there. Um, So Acts chapter 2 talks about how the early church began and what sort of things they got up to. And it says this, all those who were believed together, they had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and their goods and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. I think we see that today. We see that today. You know, Lighthouse is right in the center of community here. And um, I think I counted uh, over 200 people a week come in and we meet their needs, whether that is with with food to help with the cost of living, whether that um, is uh, fellowship, whether that is because they're in isolation and need. And I think, praise God that God's given us this place and he has given us this building and he's given us these people. And, you know, we're, we're right at the forefront of this. And, I, and I'm not ashamed to boast about this because it's not me personally that's doing all of this. It's with your support. It's with your finances. It's with your uh, volunteering. It's with your time. It's with your prayers. It, it, it's not that I'm standing up here, look at wonderful me. But actually, I think this is a real work of the Lord that's happening here in Ely. One of you agrees with me. That's wonderful. This is a work of the Lord that's happening here in Ely, and you are part of it, a big part of it. And I don't think you realize when, when you give your, your tithes and your offerings and when you give in uh, that, that, the generously into the work of the lighthouse, you don't realize how many people are being supported. And I tell you, we can do more. We can do more. And all our work overseas in, in uh, Southeast Asia, and I... Next week, we're going to be talking about that Sunday evening next week. And the Lord is moving there as well. And, and it's a privilege and honor that God is using us to do this. I'm just saying. Where was I? Day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. But they also broke bread at home and they ate their food with gladness and generous hearts. I love that. Praising God and having good, the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those that are being saved. I think that's the perspective that we bring on it, is why are we doing all the things that we do? Why are we in the heart of the community? Why are we reaching out with the love of God? We want to see lives changed and transformed by the gospel. Because that's really the only thing. You know, man shall not live by bread alone, but we, we give out so much bread every week. But, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What is the Lord saying to us? What is the Lord doing amongst us? And people are turning to Christ. People are turning to Christ. And that is responding to the good news. Breaking of bread. Here we go. So they would break bread in the temple. Um, Moses' time, they would have 12 loaves and they would break bread on the Sabbath. Do you know why they broke it? It's because on Sabbath they weren't allowed to use a knife. It's really that simple, isn't it? You can't use a knife on the Sabbath because that's working. So they broke the bread. And I like that. I like that idea. 
um, that, that they do this. But 12 loaves, I know that's significant. You can look at the 12 disciples. You can look at the 12 tribes of Israel and all those sorts of things. But when the temple wasn't available, they would break bread on the Sabbath in, in their homes, which the disciples in the early church, this is the understanding we have. It's not Jesus was starting something new. He was part of the Jewish faith. He was part of that, and he was then the Messiah to the Jewish faith. So he came to fulfill all these things and all these feasts. So when we talk about Passover lamb, we talk about Moses rescuing them from Egypt, coming out of slavery. We see the same patterns happening here when Jesus is celebrating the Passover. To understand the New Testament, we need to know its context. We know it's predominantly written by Jews for Jewish audience. And John's gospel is a great example of that because it centers around all the different feasts so when Jesus is feeding the 5,000, you know, he's, he's doing the, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. He's doing, um, when he's doing the, uh, he stands up and says, I am the water of life. I am the light of the world. You know, this is during the festival where they would pour water, get from the river. They'd pour the water into the temple and the water would flow down the steps. And then Jesus is standing saying, hey, this is I'm the water of life. I'm the fulfillment of these things. And then they would have all the, the light festival at night with all the menorahs and the candles. And Jesus is standing up saying, listen, I'm the true light of the world. You know, so if you can picture these things, it's amazing how much the, the Jewish people reading this would have understood that this is a Jewish thing. So let's look at Luke chapter 22. Let's look at the Passover story. Uh, Jesus knows he's about to die and uh, rise again, and he shares this last supper, or the, the last meal, with his disciples. Um, we'll start verse 7. Is that right? Yes, verse 7. Then came the day of the unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So the Passover lamb, they were extract, expected to get a, a sheep or a goat that was one year old. It would happen in the spring, because um, lambs are born in the spring. Um, so it would happen to a one-year-old lamb, and they would take it into their home um, for 14 days, and they would examine this lamb. And then the day of the unleavened bread was when they had to get all of the leaven out of the house. And Passover was probably the most important of all the feasts that they celebrated. They used unleavened bread in, in, in during the Exodus. It was perhaps because they didn't have time for the yeast to rise. You know, leaven is yeast. Um, so it was done in haste. So they would celebrate with the, the bitter herbs, um, which was um, horseradish root, not, not uh, creamed horseradish like you'd have, um, but just a root. It reminded them of the bitterness and of the, the, the slavery. They, they would have the unleavened bread. They would have to clean the house of all the yeast. And, uh, you know, yeast or leaven is a picture of sin. It's a picture of false doctrine. You read uh, Matthew 6, Mark 11, Galatians 5, um, 1 Corinthians 5. All of these, they point to um, getting rid of the leaven. So the celebration was to come that they were going to have to clean their house and get everything out. Um, uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, let's just read that. It says, your boasting is not a good thing. Do you not know a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old yeast so you may have a new batch and you are really, uh, as you are really unleavened. 
For our Passover lamb, Christ, was sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and evil, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6 to 8. But it's the idea that before Passover, that the house had to be clean. It's, uh, it's actually where we get spring cleaning from. This is a Jewish tradition that they would clean the house top to bottom. They would find, make sure there was no yeast or any of the uh, leaven in the house. And they would clean the house. And you know the picture of Jesus riding in on the donkey on Palm Sunday? Yeah, and it's like he is the lamb that is chosen. All the people are gathered together. This is the king of the Jews. This is the awaited Messiah. He is like that chosen, selected lamb on, um, on that Palm Sunday. And then what is the first thing Jesus does after that? Any biblical scholars out there? First thing he does, he cleans the house. He cleans the house of prayer. He goes to the house of the Lord. He does. He goes to the temple and there's all these money changes and all this evil going on. And he t- turns the tables over and he cleans the house. Um, so what Jesus is doing is actually preparing for the Passover. And he is the Passover lamb, as we read in 1 Corinthians 5. And then what is really interesting, that the Sadducees, they come up and test him. Joseph read that scripture. Um, they came and tested him and they made some story up about a woman who has seven husbands and then he answers them so wisely and then they go away not wanting to test him anymore. Then the Pharisees and the, the chief priests and the elders, they come and test him. And then even the Herodians, the political guys, they come and test him. These are people that don't like each other, but actually when it came to the hatred of Jesus, they were, they were on the same page. Um, but they went away, and, they, and it says, doesn't it? It says they dared not question him anymore. They examined him. You know that Passover lamb was examined, and it had to be spotless and clean and pure. And they examined Jesus, and they couldn't find anything wrong, and they dared not question him anymore and plotted to kill him. Isn't this, this is just, for me, this is mind-blowing, how this is just all connected. The Passover lamb was inspected, it was, uh, the, the house was clean. And then P- Paul picks this up in 1 Corinthians 11 when he's talking to the church about how you should celebrate communion together, the Lord's Supper. He says, when you come together, there is an examining of oneself. There is saying, okay, is there anything in me that um, I need to deal with? Is there forgiveness that I need to um, to, to deal with in my heart? Is there stuff I need to cleanse? Is there stuff I need to examine myself? So Paul picks out, I won't read that, 1 Corinthians 11, but you can have a read of that. Right, sorry about that. Back to Luke. Um, here we go. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover meal for us that we may eat it. And they asked him, where do you want us to make preparations for it? He says, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house. He enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks you, where is the guest room where I may eat Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs already furnished, make preparations for us there. So they went out and found everything as he told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. Um, it's inter- just a little little side note. A man carrying a, a, jug, a jug of water would have been easy to spot um, because it was the women that did it. So you're thinking, go and find someone with a big thing of water. 
Yeah, but everyone's carrying water, aren't they? But the, this, one's a, this one's a man, so it's easy to spot. Just a little side note. When the hour came, he took the place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. You know, it's Jesus is looking forward. Passover is about looking backwards. So it's both, isn't it, here? Then he took the cup after giving thanks. Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you that until that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took the loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's the looking back, isn't it? And he did the same with the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is poured out for you, for this is the new covenant in my blood. You know, the Lord's Supper is something that we put on our chalkboard. It's something we consider important. It's something that we don't take lightly. It's an invitation to life. It's an invitation to the new covenant. It's the coming out of our slavery to sin into our freedom. It's an invitation to eat. And that's really important because you look right in the beginning, what does God do in Genesis? He puts the tree of life in the Garden of Eden and he invites them to partake, to eat of my life. And it's important that it's a tree. Um, I'll get to that in a minute. But he invites them to eat from that tree of life. He chooses these humans as ambassadors, inviting them to use their own creative strength, their own imagination to take the beauty of this garden temple of Eden and spread it to the rest of creation. The tree of life represents God's own life, if you like, the ultimate gift to creation and the ability that we have to participate in God's goodness as we partake of it. This is why Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. You read this and all the, all the followers, they left him. They said, this teaching is too much. You know, you're talking about cannibalism here. And he says to his disciples, will you leave me as well? And what did they say? You have the words of eternal life. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Where else would we go? You know, and there's that understanding of life comes from partaking of Christ by uh, the acceptance, by eating this meal. God is asking humanity, trust me for your wisdom. Trust me for your life. And of course, we know that they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They choose to decline goods, God's goodness and try and live life on their own terms. And they're exiled from the garden. Least they eat of the tree of life and live forever. That's mercy. You don't want to live forever in your sin. That is mercy right there, putting them out of the garden. But as the story progresses through, um, through covenant with Abraham, we see, we see the sacrifices, we see the festivals, we see the feasts. And God is then again inviting them, come and share this meal with me. W will you receive God's true life that God offers? And these meals and these feasts 
they remind them, don't they, constantly what God has done for them. That's why they still, we still celebrate communion today. This is why they still celebrate the Passover. Because it reminds them of where they've come from and what God has done for them. And it's an opportunity to participate in praise and in thanksgiving, in remembrance and repentance. And all of these things through the years that the people of Israel could be grateful, trusting in God, that bring them together and to share in his goodness and his life. But they're unfaithful to the covenant. We know this. And God chooses, they choose their own ways. They choose false gods, false idols, false trees, if you like. And God frequently spoke to them, come back to the covenant, come back to the covenant. And um, in the end, Isaiah and Jeremiah, they, they talk about a new covenant that's going to be made. And uh, because they continued to break the covenant, God had a plan that he would come as a man and make covenant with God. And Jesus doesn't break that covenant, praise God. And we enter because Jesus makes that covenant. The prophets call this the new covenant. They knew the day when the promise would be fulfilled, that God would gather the people together and fulfill his covenant promises. And guess what? He'd invite them to a meal. You read this in Revelation, don't you? He invites them to a meal. Um, and this is what the, the, the theme follows through. If you, look, if you just Google the word bread in the Bible, you know, you'd see how many times it comes up and how many times feasts and meals come up. You know, it's no coincidence that, that, that fellowship happens around that meal, but also um, <clears throat> the, the symbolism of that Passover lamb, that, that, the unleavened bread, the, the wine, the lamb, all those things, they do fit together. And what Jesus is trying to do and presenting to them to the new covenant. You know, when he fed the thousands, didn't he? He fed, um, uh, he, he fed the 5,000. And then they follow him and they come after him and said, give us this bread. You know, he is this miraculous provider of bread. And he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that gives life. And he invites them to partake of his life. Later on, he, he, in, this is all John, he talks about how he is the vine and we are the branches and we want to stay connected. And he, the, the, if you Google trees in the Bible, you'll come up with so much there as well. So trees and eating and fruit and what comes from that is the, the life of God, the healing, the transformation that Jesus Christ offers himself almost, if you like, as the tree of life that we read in, in Revelation, that they get to eat from the tree of life. But the Passover, back to the Passover. Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. He takes the cup of thanksgiving, the Eucharist, and offers it to his disciples. And he connects the body that's broken, the bread, the bread that's broken to his body. And he connects the wine to his blood and he invites the disciples to eat and drink in remembrance of him, giving thanks for what he's done. And they began to eat, if you like, from that tree of life. And he introduces this new covenant. He's this new covenant that cannot be broken. You know what happened? They took him after that supper. They arrested him in the garden. They took him up the hill, up uh, Golgotha. And they tried to kill him, or they killed him, on a different kind of tree. The Romans, they had a tree of death, but did they realize Jesus himself was the tree of life. They underestimated him 
But he, he willingly gave his life like the sacrificial lamb. He opened not his mouth, Isaiah says. You know, and he gives himself as that sacrificial lamb to cover the sins of the world. And this is a new kind of sacrificial lamb. And this is a, for a new kind of covenant. But John, in his gospel, sets this up beautifully. In the beginning of John, um, there's the prophet John that says, when he sees Jesus, what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Caiaphas, the high priest towards the end of John, he says prophetically, isn't it better that one should die for the sins than a whole nation should perish? Even Pilate, when he's about to crucify him, washes his hands, doesn't he, of him and says, I find no fault in him. He is this blameless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and he dies for the sins of the people and it when you see all this picture connected john is really on purpose trying to bring the story of the feasts and the passover together culminating with his resurrection culminating with him breathing on them and and then receiving the holy spirit um interestingly jesus uh takes the cup after the supper in Jewish tradition at Passover, um, I don't know if you find this interesting, I do. There was four cups that they would serve. There was the cup, um, what was it, the cup of blessing, the cup of plague, the cup of redemption, and the cup of praise. Jesus takes the third cup, the cup of redemption. And that cup was uh, mixed with warm water. Um, so it kind of represents the blood a little bit more than than than, than uh, just wine by itself. But he takes the third cup, representing the redemption, the blood of the lamb. Um, and he saves the fourth cup. He says, I'm not going to drink from the cup again until heaven and earth is restored, until the new heaven and the new earth. So Jesus is waiting for that fourth cup of Passover. And that's why the Passover also that Jesus introduces, the communion looks forward, not just looking back. So I think that's important when we think about our own sin and we think about how we came out of slavery in Egypt or slavery to sin like they came out of slavery in Egypt. Yes, we need to look back. Yes, we need to be thankful for what God has done, but we also need to look forward because there's another feast is coming when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords returns and his kingdom is finally fulfilled. It's here, but it's not yet, if you like. Jesus takes the third cup, which represents the blood of the Lamb. Saving that fourth cup. Interesting, that cup is mixed with water and then Jesus' side is pierced. What comes out? Blood and water flows from him. That's just a, I like little side notes. I don't know if you do. But the bread and the cup celebrate the new covenant and it connects us to this new source of life. It's that power that rose Christ from the dead and it's that same power that takes away the corruption of our heart where we've maybe gone for false trees. Maybe we've gone for the tree of knowledge and good and evil where we've decided to go our own way thinking we know best where we need to seek God and his life and his wisdom. And it brings us back to that Eden, that place of truth, that place of beauty, that place where we can partake of God's goodness. The meal invites us to remember what Jesus has done for us, but it also helps us look forward to what's coming. Close with this final thought. 
And a recap. In Genesis, they're invited to eat from the tree of life. They're invited to have this meal. Then throughout the scripture, they're instructed to mark covenant promises. What Mark what God's done by feasting together and to never forget his love, his faithfulness towards them. And remember that he is the only true source of life. That's why they're the water festivals, the, the light festivals, that they would sleep in tents at, at Pentecost festival. And uh, they would spend that in there to remind them of when they were in the wilderness and, and remind them of the first harvest, to remind them of the giving of the law. Um, uh, which is interesting, the giving of the law was given at Pentecost and what in the New Testament, what was given at Pentecost, but the Spirit. You know, and thousands of people died when the law was given. And how many thousands of people were saved when the Spirit was given? Anyway, just a little final. But humanity then is invited to another meal. And there's... I think there's a sense that we prepare ourselves for this future meal. We remind ourselves of the Passover meal that Jesus then changed into be the Lord's Supper um, and embodied the lamb and took the bread and the wine. And then we, for generations, we've just been participating in this, looking forward to the day when Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, will draw people from all tribes, all tongues, all nations. All will gather together for that life-giving feast of a meal, that marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a marriage supper of the Lamb. This is no coincidences going on here. And then what happened in Revelation 22 too? He gives them access to the tree of life. I tell you, I love it the way this just works together and fits in full circle and saying, yes, I want to partake of your life. I want to partake of your goodness. And its meal serves as that, that communion meal serves as what is to come, that taste of true life. And I think to an extent when we, when we come to Christ now, we have a taste of that life. Eternity is placed in our hearts, the scripture says. We've given eternal life the moment that we come to Christ. And then we hope and look eagerly and expect with thankfulness, looking back, but with expectation for the future. The meal reminds us that we were once slaves in sin, like those in Egypt. But it doesn't stop there. It reminds us that one day we will feast with him and eat from the tree of life. We're going to take from this bread this morning. We're going to break bread together as we take this cup of the new covenant. You know, and as we do that, I'm reminded what Jesus did in John chapter 13 at Passover. And it would normally be the, the job of the, the lowest of the lowest slaves or servants. But he took water and he washed his disciples' feet. You know, he did that at Passover. And he takes the towel, wraps it around him, and he's washing their feet one by one. And he says, listen, I'm no, there's no greater one here or lesser one here. I'm your master, but I'm doing this for you. You need to do this for one another. And the symbolism, I'm good for time, so don't worry. The symbolism of the washing of the feet, you know, if you're um, in dusty Palestine and you're wearing sandals all the time, guess what? Your feet get dirty. And 
Jesus takes that position and he begins to wash their feet. What's interesting is when he comes to Peter, Peter says, no, Lord, you you can't wash my feet. I should be washing your feet. And Jesus says to him, unless I wash your feet, you have no part of me. Peter says, well, not only wash my feet then, please, you know, cleanse me entirely. And Jesus says, you are already clean because of the words I've spoken to you. You just need to wash your feet. And I think that's a beautiful representation of our humanity. What is it, the bit that touches the earth? Where did we come from? We came from the dust and the dust we return. What is it about our humanity that just... I mean, if I asked you all to take off your shoes now, I wonder whose feet we would smell. Not looking at anybody, I'm looking at everybody. Isn't that the truth? You can be clean and bathed, but sometimes those... That bit of you that's human, that bit of you that's earthly, that bit of you that touches the earth and the sinful corruption of the earth around us does get on our feet. Isn't that the truth? And I think this is a picture of what Christ has done for us. He has, when we've come to him, he's washed us clean. He's forgiven our sins. He's removed them as far as the east is from the west. Though we were red, sins were red as scarlet, he's washed us whiter than snow. He's washed us by the water of his word, by the words that he's spoken to us. He has cleansed us. He has forgiven us. He has healed us. He has restored us. But how many know that we're still human? And is that humanity of us the bit that touches the ground? that earths us, if you like, that makes us, reminds us, yeah, I need a shower. <laughs> I smell nice, so it's not me. But is Jesus upset with our humanity? <sighs> what does Jesus do with our humanity? He's on his knees washing us. He's not upset we're human. He wants to cleanse us. And I think that when we partake of communion, we need to understand that we are already forgiven, that our sins have been forgiven. We really need to genuinely understand that, that we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But there's an understanding that there's a bit of us that's human. And I'll say, Lord, wash my feet. Cleanse me, Lord. Make me ready for the Passover, like they cleaned the house, like he cleansed the temple, like they examined the lamb. You know, and that's the beauty of it. Christ is the lamb that gets the interrogation, the examination. And because he's clean, we go free. It's not the quality of our life. It's the quality of the sacrifice that meant the Israelites were forgiven. And it's not the quality of ours and our, whether we're human or not. It's that lamb who is spotless. The spotless lamb takes away the sin of the world. And we need to say, yes, Lord, take my sin. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never said, Lord, forgive me, accept me into your life, cleanse me of unrighteousness. And we have, if we've not repented of our old life and we've not turned the back on the life that we lived without him, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, maybe today we say, Lord, I want to partake of your tree of life. And if you have made that decision and you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple of Christ, then as we partake of communion this morning, I say, Lord, just wash our feet. That humanness that sometimes we're angry, sometimes we're 
say the wrong thing. Sometimes we're, you know, you fill in the gap. And a moment we just examine ourselves. And what does Christ do? Come along and wash our feet also. He says, you're already clean because the word I've spoken to you. Examine yourself, he says. What does it mean to be clean? What does it mean to be free from leaven? If we are to examine ourselves, as Paul writes, do we have dirty feet? We have already been cleansed, forgiven, healed, restored. But because of our humanity, we can have dusty feet. And Jesus, I love this. Now that I have washed your feet, wash others' feet. Is there someone we need to forgive? Is there someone that maybe we've struggled? But you know what? They're human too. Can we take the position of humility on our knees and wash another's feet? They're human. We're human. We understand that. But in our humanity, Christ comes to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul would say, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. When Christ looks at you, he looks at the... When God looks at you, he looks at Christ, the perfect sacrifice. That perfect lamb that took away your sin. Amen.